This morning, we're going to hover a microscope over the Christmas story that we read in the Bible. Now, almost everyone in the world has heard the story in some shape or form, but just like most portions of Scripture, there's always a little bit more to see than first meets the eye. Now, you may have a basic knowledge of the story here today. I don't want to assume that you know it all, but it might be that baby Jesus is born in a manger among animals. Three wise men see a star in the sky. They follow that star to go and find baby Jesus, and when they get there, they offer him worship and gifts, and they worship him as the king of the Jews who had been predicted for generations. Now, what's interesting about the story, though, is that we see in the story there's several different groups of three, and that's important because the way that God presents ideas to us and the way we see things unfolding in history often happen in threes, and that's no coincidence. In fact, we have a natural ingrained tendency to gravitate towards and respond positively towards things that come in threes. Not only that, but we are far more likely to remember things when they are grouped in threes. You may have heard the saying, good things come in threes. Hands up if you've heard that one. Yep, it's a pretty common saying. Now, I studied to be a high school PE teacher. I don't obviously do that anymore. I do this. Um, I had a whole bunch of fun. But when I was studying that, we did a few different papers on the brain function. And it was fascinating to learn that human short-term memory has the ability to remember just nine things, give or take one. All right, Most usual people can remember between eight and ten things in their short-term memory. And so a quick tip, if you're trying to remember a bunch of things, Group them into threes, and you're much more likely to remember them. But the number three is really significant in the Bible as well. In fact, it signifies completion, unity, and perfection. And we see three all throughout the Bible. I'm not sure if you've noticed. You've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God existing as three in one. Jesus' earthly ministry lasted three years. When Peter denied Jesus, the rooster crowed three times. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, he rose back to life after three days in the tomb. The Christmas story is filled with a bunch of threes that were not only significant for those that were present and for the original hearers or readers, but also significant for us today. Now, I want to read us a passage of Scripture from the book of Matthew. It is uh, the very first book in the New Testament, and it's, it's a slightly longer passage, but it's going to set us up for the remainder of our minutes together today. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, and it will be on the screen with you if you want to follow along as I read. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has, been, who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star and when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them exactly the time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I can go and worship him too. He was lying, by the way. He had no intention of actually worshiping Jesus. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star had been seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. We're almost there. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his, Mary, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country 
by another route. Now, I know it's a long portion, but I don't want to assume you know the story, so I wanted to just set us up there for a few moments. Now, there's a whole bunch of different groups of three in the Christmas story, and the first one I want to look at this morning is that there were three different kinds of people in the story. I'm not sure if you noticed it. In the story, there were those who were hostile to Jesus, those who were indifferent to Jesus, and those who would worship Jesus. These three different types of people not only exist all throughout the world, but they're probably represented in this very room with us today. And while we may look at the three different types of people and think they're vastly different, there's actually only one core thing that separates them. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It's from our hearts that the issues of life spring forward. And this is why God is so forward in instructing us to guard it, to be careful with it. Whether our heart is softened or hardened to the things of God is a major factor in the direction of our life. I mean, if you look across the world and you look at every situation, you look at every major issue in the world and you deduce it right back to its roots, it's almost always a heart issue, isn't it? There's something in the human heart that keeps us from being the people we want to be, we ought to be, the people we should be. It can be a lack of compassion. Sometimes we let pride slip in. Maybe it's greed or not willing to include other people in our world. Sometimes we're just closed off from being vulnerable to those around us that we trust. And so when I say there's three types of people, what I really mean is these three different conditions of the heart. But I wanted to take a quick look at those three types of people this morning. The first group were those that were hostile to Jesus. See, King Herod was hostile to Jesus from the moment that he heard about his birth. See, the moment that King Herod hears about the birth of Jesus, he derives a plan to get rid of him and wipe him out. King Herod didn't want Jesus to be in the same world as he was. Why? Because the supposed newborn king of the Jews was a threat to his power structure. There can only be one king in the land, and King Herod didn't want to lay down his authority, his power, and his control. King Herod goes to extreme measures to try and dethrone the power of Jesus in his world. And there are many people here, maybe today, that have seen Jesus as a threat to their own power structure. And look, I get it. I only became a Christian when I was 20 years old, and growing up, all that I ever heard and learned was that I needed to have a plan, be in control, make all the decisions, and be strong at all times. I, too, had a heart that was really hostile towards Jesus. And in an attempt to maintain control in our lives, some people attempt to ignore Jesus' power and authority, even going to extreme measures as if to say that Jesus never existed in the first place. But every intellectually honest historian will agree at the very least that Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth, was a real person who was crucified on a cross. It can seem a whole lot easier just to close our heart off to the reality of King Jesus. But can I encourage you this morning, if you're not sure how you ended up at church today, you got dragged along by a family member. You're just not really sure how you're here, but you've had a heart that is hostile towards Jesus. I want to encourage you with this. You don't need to feel threatened in any way. While God is all-powerful and authoritative, He's also gentle, He's compassionate, and most importantly, He's on your side. God is actually on your side fighting your battles for you. He's not looking for a reason to punish you. He's looking for any reason on the planet to extend grace to you. Jesus came to give life and life in all its fullness, and surrendering to him doesn't mean you lose out on anything. In fact, it adds to your life. Now, the way it could be said is that it completely transforms your life. King Herod was hostile towards Jesus because he felt that he was a threat rather than a friend. Second group of people we see in the Christmas story are those that were indifferent to Jesus. That just means they were kind of like, yeah, they're sort of just on the fence, in the middle. 
in this biblical account we, of, that we call the Christmas story, there were a group of people that were indifferent to Jesus. They weren't overtly against him, but they also didn't really care enough to go and visit him for themselves. They believed they just didn't really care. Now, these were the chief priests and scribes, and uh, they knew the prophecies. They knew the scriptures. They knew that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. So it would have been very eye-opening for them when this actually happened exactly as predicted. But despite their knowledge and general belief, they didn't really care to go and visit baby Jesus when he was born. They believed it just didn't move their heart. It's interesting that the people who were indifferent were the religious people. And when I say religious, I mean they knew the scriptures, they knew the ordinances, they knew all the traditions, they knew all of that stuff in their head, but they arguably didn't know God in their heart. In fact, later in life when Jesus is speaking about these sorts of people, he says, they honor me with their lips, but it's their hearts that are far from me. See, it can be so easy to keep Jesus at arm's length, like he's close but not too close. We know about him. We know the stories. We come to church regularly. But our experience never transfers from the head to the heart. This happens because religion and the gospel of Jesus are two very different things. See, religion will say this. If I obey God, then he'll accept me. I would have done well and he'll owe me back and then I should get what I want. And it's all based on performance. But the Christian message is not like that at all. The Christian message is about God accepting us despite our missing mistakes. That's good news. His love and grace for me is more powerful than my disobedience and sinfulness. And so I am accepted as a default stance. From that place, I respond in thankfulness by being obedient to God. See, obedience isn't to earn the love and grace of God. It's because of it. It's our natural response as believers to the love of God. When we realize that God accepts us before we've cleaned ourselves up and gotten ourselves worthy in our own minds, we no longer see God as being in debt to us, and we just come to say thank you. That's why we celebrate with song at the start of our service. That's what it looks like on a normal Sunday as well. We're so thankful for Jesus, and we just come to say thank you to Him. And so in this story, the religious leaders were indifferent, They knew he was born. They just didn't want to go near him. But you know what's interesting? It's not just the religious that are indifferent. In fact, you might not consider yourself religious at all, but you may still find yourself feeling a little on the fence, a little indifferent. See, sometimes it can be because of spiritual apathy. And by that, I mean we might believe some of the facts, but we just haven't allowed it to move our heart. Now, imagine you were diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. Some may not even need to imagine that. Maybe you need a heart transplant or a liver transplant, and someone offered to give up their life so that you could live. I know that your response probably wouldn't be like, oh, that's cool. Like, I know they died for me. Like, I get to live, like, pumped. Like, I want to suggest that your response might look a little bit different from that. I imagine you might feel a pull to live the rest of your life completely different, knowing that someone gave up their life so that you could live. And so if you're here today and you're saying, that's me, I'm a bit indifferent, it's not that I don't believe, it just hasn't really affected my heart, then perhaps for you, you could pray a prayer and ask God to show, him, show you the depth of His love and that great sacrifice that has allowed you to live. And you might say, what do you mean live, Frosty? I'm, I'm still here, I'm still alive. I mean to be spiritually alive, to be connected to the God who made you and have access to heaven for all of eternity. Perhaps if you were to pray that prayer, God would show you personally, your heart would shift from being indifferent, and it would look more like the third type of person that we see in the Christmas story. So we've got those that were hostile, those who were indifferent, and the third type were those who would worship Jesus. 
The third type of people we see were the Magi, known as the wise men who would, become, would come to worship Jesus. They hear the message of Jesus' arrival, and their heart response is to go and be as close to Jesus as they possibly could. They need to go and see for themselves, and they're determined to worship Jesus when they get there. I love that the heart of the wise men in coming to approach Jesus was to come with gifts in hand and to worship Him, rather than their own shopping list and a self-serving agenda. Now, it's totally fine for us to bring our wants and our desires, to bring our prayer shopping list to God, absolutely. But these wise men understood and their wisdom led them to understand that if Jesus gave them nothing more, he was still worthy of all of their worship. See, at this point, Jesus is just a child. He actually hasn't done anything that admirable. And yet the wise men come to worship him, not because of what he's done, but because of who he is. And that's never changing. See, we don't know much about these wise men in the Bible, except that they were well-educated, they were well-respected, they had a heart to worship Jesus, and the word that was given to best describe them was wise. And so where is your heart at today? What type of person are you this Christmas day? Are you hostile towards Jesus? Are you indifferent towards Him? Or are you someone who has a heart to worship Him? That's that first group of three. I'm going to do just one final group of three for the sake of time this morning. There's a whole bunch of other ones in the story if you want to go check them out. The next group of three we see is that there's three types of gifts. One of the most iconic parts of the Christmas story that we remember, that often the kids remember, we see it in the nativity scenes, is the picture of three wise men bringing three gifts to baby Jesus. Now, Darcy, if you were here with us last week, unpacked that in Scripture, there is nothing to suggest that there were three wise men. We know that there were three gifts, and so we make the assumption that ah, there might have been three wise men, but it's also very likely that there were a whole bunch of other traveling magi or wise men that were represented by the three gifts. Now, at first reading, we think they're bringing just a whole bunch of different expensive gifts to show their gratitude uh, and admiration for the promised king. But as we hover that microscope over the details of the story, we can see that the selected gifts were actually very intentional. These wise men not only weren't like the uneducated farmers of the day, right? So they knew what was going on. They had read the scriptures. They had heard the prophecies. They were well-versed in all of that around the promised Messiah, the one who would be the savior of the world. And as the traveling magi finally arrived to see Jesus, they lavish him with three different gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And each of these gifts tell us a little bit about the child that was born, but they also tell us a bit about the, the revelation and understanding that the wise men had of who this Jesus was. Let's go through those real quick. The first gift was gold. Now, gold has been the universal standard of uh, value for most of recorded history. In fact, gold was started to be used as a currency about 550 years before Jesus was born. It's valuable because it's rare, it's beautiful, and it was relatively difficult to come by. See, getting gold a few thousand years ago wasn't like it is today. You don't just go down to the jewelry store. Because it was hard to come by and because of its extreme value, it naturally found itself in the hands of the rich and maybe those that were really high in status in society. And so kings would have huge stores of it within the chambers of their courts, and it represented power, authority, and might. Gold was very fitting for a king. So make no mistake, when these wise men turn up to offer the gift of gold, they are affirming his calling as king. They are acknowledging his status and authority. And when the prophet Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, about a thousand years before Jesus was even born, he prophesied this in Isaiah 9.6. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. 
I love this. The government would rest on his shoulders. He would be the foundation and the final authority. This is something that the wise men understood. See, the giving of gold was an act of reverence. The gift of gold was representing Jesus as king. The second gift that the wise men quite strategically come and offer this child Jesus was frankincense. Now, frankincense was a type of incense that was very commonly used by priests. It would be burnt in the temples, and it was considered to be a sweet fragrance to God. Now, I don't know if God actually liked the smell. In Bible college, I didn't learn if God actually has a nose or not. I can't imagine him having a whiff. But it's beside the point. The point is that the priests were to use the frankincense and to burn it. And so giving this gift to Jesus was acknowledging him as priest. That might sound really random because he's just a little baby, but it's not random at all. See, in Jesus' culture, priests were considered to be the mediator between God and people. They were the middleman and spoke on behalf of each other. Like an awkward dating scenario when you're really young and the two people don't actually speak to each other. They just speak through a mutual friend. It's like, my friend likes you. Okay, tell him I like him back. Okay. And they're just the middleman. They would, these, these, uh, Priests, these mediators, these middlemen would speak on behalf of the community about God, and they would speak on behalf of God to the community and deliver his decrees and his laws. And then they would speak on behalf of the community to God, reminding God of his grace and his promises for them. Hebrews 4, chapter 14 to 15 says, So then, since we have a high so since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus is considered the high priest and mediator between God and people. This makes sense then as to why he can take upon himself the sins of the world and feel the judgment from God because he stands in our place. And the gift of frankincense was acknowledging Jesus as the promised high priest that the people had been waiting for. He was the king. He was the priest. And the third gift was myrrh. Now, the gift of myrrh is the most odd of all three. And the reason for that is myrrh was actually an embalming spice. So in that culture, when someone passed away, they would embalm their body with the myrrh spice. <laughs> but wait, there's myrrh. <laughs> That's good. Laugh. No. I couldn't resist. I just... <laughs> now, when I say, but wait, there's myrrh, what I mean is this gift was incredibly prophetic about Jesus' purpose and his fate. Yes, they were giving it to a child. That seems weird, but not so much when you understand the prophecies that in the Bible about Jesus being the Savior who would die but also be resurrected three days later. See, without the hope of resurrection, myrrh would be quite a morbid and inappropriate gift. Why would you give that to a child? But knowing full well that it represented his death and resurrection, this was a very significant gift that was affirming that he was, in fact, the promised Savior of the world. Ben, you can join me. It was so clear to these wise men that this was no ordinary child. And they weren't just taking a punt on it. They had read the scriptures. They understood the prophecies. They had been studying this their whole life. This was the promised king, the priest, and the savior they had been waiting for. And their response was to come and offer worship and gifts that were fitting for a priest, a savior, and a king. And while the gifts were clearly intentional and well-considered, it's the worship it's the worship that touches the heart of God. It's actually the worship that God was after all along because he gave everything to be connected to his people. While there is no appropriate gift that any of us in this room could come and give God to account for his beautiful love and grace towards us, 
we do have the ability to offer Him our worship. And you may have come in today feeling hostile towards Jesus. That's okay. I'm glad that you're here. Perhaps it's been seen that Jesus is a threat to the power and control that you have over your own life. Now, it is true that Jesus asks you to surrender your whole life into His hands, and that can seem daunting, but there has never been a more trustworthy and loving set of hands to surrender your life into. God is for you and not against you. He is on your side. You may have come in feeling a little indifferent. It's not necessarily that you don't believe, but maybe religious law following or spiritual apathy has just meant you've kept Jesus at arm's length. He's close, but not close enough. As a result, you haven't allowed Jesus to touch your heart. And so perhaps for you today, it's a prayer where you ask God to show Him the width and the depth of His love for you. And the hope is that we could all be like the wise men. Wise because they chose to worship the one who was clearly sent by God to worship the King, the priest, and the Savior. And I would love to finish up my message this morning by extending an amazing invitation to you. In fact, it's not my invitation. It's an invitation that God makes to every person. We truly are so glad that you're here hearing this beautiful story. You know, another phrase for the gospel, uh, for the Word of God, for the Scripture that we read in the Bible was the good news. Quite often people can feel judged or condemned, but that's not what God is like. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He wants to know you. And so when we read the story and we hear about it, it is good news for anyone who would believe. And I want to lead us all in a prayer. So I'm going to ask us all just to close our eyes where we are. If you're here today and you would say, man, that sounds amazing. I would so love to know the God who made me. I need forgiveness for my sin. I want to be made brand new. I want that promise of eternity in heaven. See, God's promise to you also comes as a three. You get forgiveness for your past, new life right now, and the promise of eternity in heaven with Him. And the Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You don't have to get your life sorted. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to memorize scripture, but you turn your heart towards Jesus today and He is gracious to meet you right where you're at. And He says that the old would be gone, the new would come, you'd be made brand new today. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. I'll pray it out loud. You just pray it in your heart, but you make it your own and you mean it with everything that you've got. Pray this this morning. Say, dear God, I acknowledge I've sinned. I'm blown away at this powerful Christmas story that the God of heaven would leave His throne to come and die on a cross for me. I believe, God, that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross, to take the penalty that my sin deserved so that I could be forgiven and made whole and made free today. And so, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin, and I thank you that you do. I choose to turn from my old way of life towards a new life with you. I don't know what that all looks like, but I place my hand in your hand today, and I choose to trust you with the faith that I have. I commit my whole life to you, holding nothing back in Jesus' name.